back to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm your host, James Huang, and we have a special episode here, although I feel like we have a lot of special episodes, but Every this, episode one, special. But this, one is, this one really is special because we are here live, all actually physically together Whoa. at the 2022 Sea Otter Classic. The smorgasbord of Corbin. Indeed, COVID. indeed. <laughs> <laughs> that, that voice that you hear is Cycling Tips Editor-in-Chief, Kaylee Fretz. Kaylee. Oh, hello, James. Good to see you again. It's great to see you. We live in different parts of the state now, so. You do, you abandoned Boulder. as it used to. Boulder abandoned me, let's oh, be clear. Oh, that, that, that's maybe more accurate. Yeah. That's maybe more accurate. Dave Rome. Hello. Senior Tech Editor, all the way here from Sydney. It's been a while. Who may or may not still be jet lagged. So if you hear some weird sound, that's Dave's head hitting the mic because he <laughs> passed out. Truth. And then we do not unfortunately have our ace mechanic, Zach Edwards, here from the Boulder Group Head He was supposed to be here, actually. Was he? Yeah. But oh. then, because Ruth is here. Oh, that's racing. right. That's right. But then he decided that he needed to work and like make money. He's fine. And we do pay him for this podcast, but not enough to skip an entire weekend of work. <laughs> oh, huh. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Surprise. Alas. Uh, well, in, in his place, we do actually have a, a really awesome guest today who's going who's gonna to chime in a little bit earlier on and then also join us for a, uh, a little bit of an in-depth segment later on. We have Ken Avery, who is the Senior Vice President of Product Development at Vittoria. Hi, Ken. What's up, world? Thanks for having me on the show. So Ken has a unique talent of being able to speak at length. <laughs> <laughs> about English. anything and everything related to tires. Try to stop me. Maybe not even bicycle. Maybe not even only bicycle tires. I think just tires in general. Like we might not, might ask you I might ask you about like tractor tires and stuff. We'll see. Yeah. Hey, man. Let's do it. We are a car track. We could ask about car tires. We are, and I've only seen like two cars here since I've been here. Well, like like in the venue anyway. Yeah. What tires would you suggest for the? Uh tire strategy for the F1 race in Melbourne this weekend. Sticky ones. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, uh, or, or more fortunately, actually, so Vittorio only makes bicycle tires. Um, but uh, it's good. We can specialize in that. So, you know, it's, it's our F1 is, uh, you know, everything we know 11 bikes. Well, and it's funny that you mentioned F1, seeing as how I saw something earlier that definitely reminded me of F1 tires, which maybe we'll talk about later. Maybe yeah, yeah. Maybe, we can, maybe we can cover that. that. A surprise. <laughs> anyway. Sea Otter. So Interbike went away, uh, what is it, three years ago now? Four? I'm not even sure. I haven't been here in a while. So is, is went away the best verb that we could use for that? Interbike is just no longer. It was swallowed into a pit of doom. So with, with the demise of Interbike, Sea Otter has always been definitely one of the biggest bicycle trade shows in the U.S. And now that Interbike is gone, I think it's pretty clear that it is the biggest one. Mm -hmm. Also occupies a really cool spot on the calendar in April that it's a really good time to introduce new product. So the reason why we are all here is to check out a bunch of new stuff. And we figured we would kick off this week's episode with a little roundtable on kind of some of the cool stuff that we saw. Because invariably, what everyone always asks us is, what'd you see at the show? So let's start with Dave. What did you mm. see at the show? What have I seen at the show? Uh, sun, a lot of it, perhaps a bit too much of it. Uh, but what have I seen at the show? Uh, American Classics probably are high up on the list at the moment because they are back into wheels, it seems. You do, um, you do realize that Ken's sitting right next to you here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's I'm cool. Just gonna, I'm just going to ignore the other side of oh, their new on. product line and just talk about the wheels. <laughs> they certainly, I mean, they've updated every tire they have. But uh, yeah, wheels-wise, they're, they're back. They're going to be offering rims, um, aluminum, aluminum rims, depending on where you're from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, currently, it is OE spec only, though. So aftermarket does not exist exist yet and they don't have wheels yet but yeah the american classic brand is now being printed back on the rims they got two models uh as you'd expect there's a, a pinned version and a welded version yeah is this the same company or is it somebody buy the brand what what happened james my understanding is that uh I, I think it was like their general manager or something who bought the brand uh, I guess I've never really dug into it that much, but Bill Shook, the original founder of American Classic, is involved. Um, so it's not like it was like a hostile takeover or something like that. Right. I don't, but I don't know the exact specifics. Yeah, little little unclear. But gotcha. either way, it is basically still the same American Classic, and I and I believe the reason why Bill was uh, you know, still on board or retained or whatever is because the 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 plan or the the reintroduction of American Classic wheels was always in the cards. 
And he was always going to be a big part of that because that's really kind of his bread and butter. Yeah. So yeah, new rims. Uh, there's a huge range. So there's two models, but it, it spans multiple widths, uh, 650B, 700C. Uh, the depths get taller as the width gets narrower. Uh, they've got everything from like a 19 mil wide up over 30 mil in both models. Wait, wait, it's wait, wait, a wait, extensive but, range. But, but if it's only two models... <laughs> You say that there's only two models, but there's a two whole bunch names. of there's, there's a whole bunch of widths and depths. Yep. That's like saying that Victoria has one tire, but there's a whole bunch of different widths and tread types and like casing constructions and usage. Per this seems confusing. That seems very confusing. So how yeah. many how many separate wheels are there actually? Well, rims. Uh, I don't know, but there's at least. 10 models of rim, okay. 10, 10 different rims. Okay. 10 different SKUs. Yeah. That's, um, that's And then if you count diameter, if you add in the 650B, then it's probably that again, I'd imagine. Well, e either way, I mean- It's going up in like two millimeter increments. Can, can we expect a lot of the same things that we used to see from American Classic Wheels? Like pretty, pretty good weights and- yeah, it's tubeless like, compatibility. The, the the design seems to be uh, like eyeletless to save weight. Uh, the top end wheels using like a 7000 series aluminium, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I probably am mistaken on that. It might be 6069. Uh, and then, yeah, it's the weights seem competitive, but not super light like the old American classic that we have known in the past. It's probably a bit more sensible in the weights now. Hmm. Interesting. I liked the lack of sensibility, to be perfectly honest. I think yeah. because I was at like 14 at the time, and I thought that a cheap, light rim was pretty much the coolest thing. I could, yeah, like, yeah. And, you, and you were half the weight limit. And I weighed 85 pounds. Yeah, yeah. That that helped as well. Yeah, it definitely does. Well, and right now, Kaylee, as far as I can tell, you don't really weigh that much more than 85 pounds. I weigh more than 85 pounds, James. Not a whole lot more. <laughs> Durango has been good to you. <laughs> All right, well, I'll, I'll go next. So we have, we've often talked a lot about 3D printed saddles and, and really kind of how much we like them, um, mainly in the sense that they're like, as for, for as expensive as they are, they're stupidly comfortable. Like they're just, they're just ridiculous. They're just so, so comfortable. Uh, and yet they're also really light. And the question has always been, when is it going to get to the point where the technology is dropping in price, where it's a little bit more accessible? Um, Physique launched a couple of saddles here. Uh, it was a version of their Argo. They were kind of short-nosed saddle that they have in a variety of different usages and stuff. Um, but now they have the Argo Adaptive. They have it in the R1 version with carbon rails, and they have it in the R3 with, um, they call it cum rails. It's some sort of tubular metal thing. Um, they're not very heavy, but they're also not crazy expensive compared to some other stuff that we've seen. So instead of like $450 US, they, the nice one's 300. And then the, the, the R3 version is like 270 US dollars. And actually I think they use the same, uh, I think it's 270 US, 270 British pounds and 270 euros. So they just, they just change the, change the symbol in the front of it. Uh, this being a podcast, can you describe what that product looks like? It's got a lot of holes in it. Oh, yeah. Imagine okay. a sea sponge carved okay. in the shape of a saddle. Is that for flex? Is that why they do that? Basically, yeah. I mean, it's it's it allows you to create this kind of open cellular structure that they're, they're open cells. And the way that all those little individual bridges flex and bend is how you provide the padding. But because there's not that much actual material there, that's what makes it really light. But by making that cellular structure really pretty big and open, that's how you get so much squish. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think back to like uh, 1980s BMX saddles, right? <laughs> like these, like oh yeah, there was like it was like a hard material with holes in it, and it flexed, and it was actually strangely comfortable. So it's I like mean, a, it's a high tech version of that, almost it seems. Uh, kind of. I mean, Tioga still makes versions of those BMX saddles, like they call it the, uh, I think the uh, like the Stratum Spider or something like that. Mm -hmm, like yeah. it's basically just a, a rigid, or not rigid, but a solid plastic shell with a bunch of holes in sure, it. Sure. Yeah. Um, so they do still have something like that, but this is definitely quite different. It's just super squishy, um, but. I think it's cool that we are definitely seeing those prices come down in a pretty big way. Um, has, spe I mean, has Specialized dropped theirs yet? Not that I know of. Because that's who you were, you were referring to with oh, the- Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the specialized, um, the specialized mirror saddles are like 450 US and these top out at 300. So mm. that's, that's a big difference. Yeah, it's cool to um, see it trickle down. And what's also really intriguing is the fact that both of those saddles the 3D printed parts are made by the same company, as far as I understand. Mm -hmm. yep. So why is one so much more expensive than the other one? Mm. Aside from the fact that it can be. Marketing. Marketing? 
<laughs> Awkward silence. <laughs> because branding. Yeah. Anyway, because I've they got, can. I've got I've got one of those saddles in hand. I it's at home. You can't blame them. You can't I'm, I'm going to give it a shot as soon as I can when I get home. Looking forward to it because I like the Argo shape and I like 3D printed saddles because they're comfy. Uh, Kaylee, you are you are Useless. a second tips editor in chief. <laughs> you flew in late last night. Yeah. What exactly are you doing here, exactly? Because uh, like you're not writing anything up tech wise. I've been like, deep, deep in the content mines. Have, have you seen anything? Have been you have you checked anything out? Pickaxe in hand. No, I've really just been shaking hands and saying hi to people. Uh, I could list off the people I've shook hands with and said hi to. Hmm. Is that helpful to you? No, not Who really. Smelled the best. I don't know. Like, That's not very helpful at all. <laughs> have you been using your hand sanitizer? Yes, frequently. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Because because Dave still has to get home and he can't get COVID. Well, I mean, I can. I, I just can't get home then. <laughs> right, so I can right. get COVID. Right. But All if right. I want well, the whole package, then I need to stay healthy. Okay. <laughs> no, I do. I plan on taking him tomorrow to sort of like wander around and see some stuff and things like that. But yes, my, my, my morning today, less useful on that front. Okay, fair enough. Well, we are going to be doing another podcast here tomorrow at the same time. So we will give Kaylee another opportunity to redeem himself. I will try. Make it I seem that feel. he's useful somehow. <laughs> all right, Dave. I what, set up all the podcast gear. You, you did, did. You did. Yeah. You guys watched me do it. I did. Yeah. I did. So you are now. All you, mics you, even work. You've now been demoted to audio engineer. <laughs> yes. That's where I always wanted to be. Perfect. All right, Dave, what's another thing that you saw here that was pretty cool? There's a few tools on the list, but I'm going to save those. Uh, tools. Go figure, huh? Yeah, you okay. wouldn't have thought it. But uh, surprise. Um, I felt so judged by Dave this morning when I unpacked oh. my bike and it, the chain was just a disgusting mess. I wasn't judging you. I, I understood. <laughs> He's coming to expect it. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. So what I was surprised by is that you uh, had no hammer. So no, yeah. I mean I don't really need it to put the travel bike. I, I have seen several hammers here at a variety of booths. However. So I think we put the call out a couple weeks ago that if anyone wanted to come to the podcast recording here at Sea Otter and bring Kaylee a hammer, a hammer of your choosing, it could be a souvenir hammer, like a little toy hammer, any hammer. Kaylee is obliged to take it, perhaps begrudgingly, and bring it home. Is I there a story behind this hammer? Two, two 70 pound bags all the way home, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> Ka Kaylee, Kaylee is, we refer to Kaylee as the hammer. Oh, okay. Um, partially, partially because he's I think it. Well, I guess this was pre-Ronin. Pre-Ronin. I think you were you were very close to being. You, you were in the running for being the fittest of the Cycling Tips crew, probably. Um, but now deeply, deeply off the back. But yeah. But in the context of Nerd Alert, it refers more to the nuance uh, with which I fix bicycles. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. Kaylee's mechanical aptitude. <laughs> so more more of a hammer, less of a torque wrench. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I hear you. Yes. Yeah. Not yes. a real big torque, torque wrench guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lots of torque, yeah. directly applied. <laughs> All right, Dave, what um, you got? I'm going to wrap two brands into one here because uh, comfort-inducing features. So we've got FSA have joined the Comfort STEM game. So they've got the AGX VAS STEM, and it's basically it's quite similar to some other products we've seen in years past. It's it's basically they've uh, put like a a silicon rubber dampener inside of the the faceplate area so the handlebar is isolated by by a softer material that allows a bit of bit of dampening to happen uh, and they've got three different durometers that you can swap that out for for a different feel uh, it comes in a variety of common gravel-ish lengths uh, yeah it felt kind of heavy but also it looked really solid so yeah it's that's the one product that is somewhat interesting, and it's cool to see a brand of that size recognizing that category. Um, it's almost like they're acknowledging that it's not like some like silly widget. Then that it's something that they should pay attention to. Strange that. Hey. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's their answer. Yeah. No. No moving parts. No. No pivots or anything in that. It's just really just the soft material there. That's that's designed to to give a little. And then the other one is uh, Ergon. Um, they initially worked with. Canyon to create that leaf spring seat post that you see on Canyon bikes these so days. One, one fun fact before yeah. you go further, Dave, Brothers. is that Brothers. Fact, yes, so that the I guess sort of former head of Canyon now because he just recently stepped down, mm -hmm. but uh, the founder of Canyon and the head of Ergon, uh, Frank and Roman Arnold, they are brothers. Yeah, indeed. So yeah, the brothers work together to create that leaf spring seat post, that that split seat post that you see on the Endurace and a few other models. Uh, and Ergon had, were selling it aftermarket for a number of years, and then they just they stopped selling it. 
Uh, it's back. They've they've brought it back. It, so it's the uh, the CF All Road Pro Carbon, I think is what it's called. Formerly known as the CF3. I, I may have hoarded a bunch of those. Cool. The, the only real difference that people may not have seen before is that it's now recognized and it's now tested for light off-road use. So that's kind of the only upgrade that they've done. So it's just got new certification. Uh, otherwise, it's much the same post that you would have seen from Canyon. But now you can buy it with an Ergon brand on it. Oh, uh, 27.2 diameter only. Okay. Uh, okay. And the other one from Ergon, they're getting into bar tape. So, because, um, you know, there weren't enough options in that space already. So, uh, yeah, there's not much to tell there. They've got three different thicknesses. They've got road, all road, gravel. Um, each one has a slightly different texture on it. Gravel, bar tape. Indeed. It has to happen. Are you no. even a brand in 2022 <laughs> if you don't have a gravel bar <laughs> tape? You buy grips. Can, well, can I have a question for you? How, how is it that tire brands, in particular mountain bike tire brands, have not collectively come out with their own ranges of grips that mimic their popular, their most popular tread types? Like, how do you not have like a, a Mazza grip? Or like, you know, how does Maxis not have a Minion grip? Like, it seems like people would buy that those just painful. for name recognition. <laughs> Yeah, I think what needs to happen on a tire is not necessarily what needs to happen in terms of just like, you know, grip it, on your hand. But it, it doesn't matter if it's actually like makes sense or anything. Like, I hear yeah. you. The thing about making sense in the bike industry is that it so rarely does, right? So I think that may be like such a logical idea that it's somehow not obvious to product managers perhaps. But yeah, it's also a different ne kind of rubber. Next yeah. sea otter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I worry where that could go. You'd end up having like a wolf tooth narrow, right, narrow wide grip. That could be, uh, yeah, I mean, there's... There's, there's certain crossover categories, which I'm not that stoked to. Uh, right. It's not been done, for. in fairness. It has been. Yeah. I've seen some tire treads on grips in the past. I mean, um, WTB used to do it. Exactly they had right. The, yep. uh, the, the werewolf grips, or yep. I, I guess, I don't remember what they actually Were they the weird? Yeah. Weir. Mark Weir's here somewhere, yeah. by the way. I saw, him, I saw him walking around. Oh, huh, okay. Yeah. Everybody's here. Yeah. So I, mean, I haven't been to Sea Otter in a couple of years, and, and I think since the demise of Interbike, and it is astonishing how many people are here. Yeah. Like, it is a busy one this everybody. year. Everybody. It is a yeah. busy one. James, what have you, what have you got? What's uh, what's new in, in your eyes? All right. Well, I, I kind of have a thing for car racks. Specifically, okay. I have a thing for <laughs> hitch-based car racks. Oh, I have one of those. Um, yeah. Mainly because I used roof racks for years and years, like a whole lot of people do, and um, I'm sorry to all the rack makers out there who still prefer those, if there are any of those left, or anyone listening to this who prefers a roof rack, but I think they're dumb. Um, because I, can, I think if you can put your bike on the hitch, assuming that you're not towing a trailer or something, but I think if you can put your bike on the back of the car on a hitch-based rack, it just makes a lot of sense. Like it's kind of behind the car, it's like better gas mileage, it's more accessible, and you don't really have to worry about destroying your bike in a drive-through or your garage or anything. Unless you get rear-ended. Okay, fine, there's that issue. <laughs> but anyway, uh, one, one of my favorite ones, and I think this is definitely a cult favorite for hordes of mountain bikers everywhere, have been the racks made by 1UP. Yeah. Mm. Like that style of rack where you have these two articulating arms that sort of like, kind of sandwich both ends of the bike. Um, just by the tires, there's no frame contact, works with a ton of different bikes, that sort of thing. Um, and 1UP used to have the exclusive patent on this for years and years because they invented the concept. but. That patent expired, I'm not sure exactly how many years ago, but it most definitely has expired because everyone has one now. Oh, like yeah. every brand has one and yeah. has been for, has had one now for a few years. But what's cool is that you are now seeing all sorts of really neat refinements of that original concept because the one-up rack really hasn't changed. It still works really well, but it's definitely pretty industrial, Yeah, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, so now you have all these different iterations, like mm. Dooley, Yakima, and like everyone's got one. Um, Saris, you name it, everyone. Uh, the latest one to come, to come to the market with that sort of style is Rocky Mounts. Um, they have a new rack called the Guide Rail, um, and it has a pretty neat ratchet mechanism that um, the one thing I've never really loved about the one-up is he kind of needed like four arms to, to load and unload it sometimes. It's a little awkward. And uh, the Rocky Mounts rack now has this pretty neat ratchet mechanism where you can kind of just flick the lever open and just have it be, have the, uh, have the arm be freely pivoting. So you're now not really having to fight the rack all the time. Um, it's got a pretty easy to use tilt mechanism up or down. You know, all the standard stuff comes in inch and a quarter or two inches. It's got an integrated lock that looks like it's done pretty well. Um, it is quite expensive. Go figure. Uh, the regular two-bike two one is like 850 bucks, and then they also have 
a, uh, they also have one that has a built-in swing-out base. Hmm. It's really, really good for the van lifers. Hmm. Uh, that one's like 1050 or something. You can do a, a third bike add-on, but it's you know it's, it's a tiered construction, so the bikes are tucked in pretty tight to each other. There's not a whole lot of leverage on the base. It doesn't take quite a, quite as much room. It's neat. Uh, I think it's about time that Rocky Mounts got into that space, and um, curious to try one. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. Sticking with hit tracks, um, Yakima have the hang tight, which is quite a cool a vertical rack. Which the vertical rack's kind of been taking the gravity mountain bike world by storm. So if you can imagine, the bike just sits vertically to the vertical to the back of the car and the kind of like how a lot of people hang their bikes on their wall yeah exactly uh, and that way you can kind of stagger them the bars turn 45 degrees and you can stagger the bikes and you can squeeze a lot like four to six bikes in basically in the width of the vehicle uh, and you you end up having a shorter base and there's no issues of like ground clearance that way uh, but yeah Yakima have one and they're basically they're, their design's kind of unique normally those those vertical racks grab the the front wheel and often like you you tuck the front wheel this one holds the bike by the handlebars and by doing that they basically opened up compatibility to uh to road bikes so it fits mountain bikes and road bikes they have a four bike and a six bike version there's a few cool little features in it but yeah mainly it's just that's the feature that's trying to set it apart is there's not many of those racks that can carry a road bike right but to, to be clear yakima is not the first company to come out with a vertical rack that holds the bikes by the handlebar um, I unfortunately cannot remember the name of this brand right off the top of my head, but actually a buddy of mine back in Boulder just bought one of these racks that holds the bike by the handlebar. Mm. I can't remember the name of it. It's <laughs> like, I, I can't remember if it's like, it's not Alta. I don't think it's Velocirax. I, I, ah, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it. But anyway. There's a lot, a lot of rack brands there's out there. There's a whole bunch then. of vertical rack options out, yeah. out there right now. Yeah, but this okay. one looked pretty nice. And yeah, the four bike version you can get with the additional swing arm option for uh, getting into the van. And uh, so yeah, I quite like the look of that. And okay. It seemed easy to load. All right, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do our last our last little cool thing that we saw today before we move into our feature segment. And I'm gonna blow your minds right now. Like, oh yeah. Like your brains are gonna come out of your ears. So uh, if you're familiar with Shimano's DI2 system, you know that a couple years ago, they came out with, um, well, I don't even know exactly how many years ago, but anyway, not several years ago, they came out with a, a bar end option for their, for their junction box. And I ran into someone uh, who runs a company called 12 Speed Products, and they have something called the Doormate which looks very much like a DI2 bar end junction box, except it's not. It's hmm. a garage door opener. Shut up. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> Ken's brains are coming out of his ears right now. So you can program ah. this You can program this to open up your garage door just like you would like a garage door opener in your car or something, but it just goes in your bar end plug. So like you roll up to your house and you just push the button and then you just roll in, you're done. I'm, I'm just picturing people thinking they're opening their garage and they're just resetting their DI2. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there is that issue. I mean, <laughs> see? that's sick, man. See? You know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you drive into your driveway and you hit your button in your car. So why not do the same thing on your bike? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's yeah, I mean, it's just one of those parallel use things that um, I'm surprised wasn't thought of already. But that's super clever. Well, it, it has been thought of now. Uh, where do you put your tire plugs once you have one of those? Uh, they go somewhere else. Oh, okay. They no longer run tubes. They, I, gonna, I, I think yeah. it's interesting how the handlebar <laughs> end has now become very, very coveted real estate. Mm -hmm. It's like, what am I going to put in there? Yeah. I mean, like, like I don't know. Like, I guess you I guess you could still put Twizzlers in there or something. But, but now it's like garage door opener or tools and all that sort of thing. Anyway, this thing is pretty new. It costs uh, forty dollars US, I believe, and uh, I think it works. Obviously, I have not gone home yet to, to test it out, but. Seems pretty neat. Um, before we move on, can I talk about one last thing I saw? Uh, sure. Good, I you guess. can't let me talk without talking about tools. I mean, uh, I don't know why you let me on otherwise. <laughs> All right, Dave, go ahead. What you got? There's a new American company called Alt Angle. And basically, angle or alt, angle like it, like an angle grinder. Sort of like, sort of like alternative angle. Okay. Alternative angle. And they've got a product called The Hanger. And basically, it is a like a foldable, portable repair stand that when you unclip everything and you build it up and it clips together all pretty quickly, it becomes a repair stand that uses a door frame. Uh, and it looks, I always thought it was a bit gimmicky. I'd seen it a few months ago and finally holding one, the thing is damn sturdy. So yeah, I mean, you can hang like 55 pounds off of it with, 
without much flex and it's modular and you can change the clamp to clamp different shape posts. You can make it clamp from the side or from the back. Uh, it's a cool product. How does it so. attach to the door jam? Because you see those like pull-up bars on the door jam. Yeah, yeah. it's well, not. It, it's very similar. It's oh, not it? too different. So yeah, it's got like grips that kind of go on the front side of the door and then there's like a hanger that sits onto the top of the, the door, the door okay. frame, I guess. And it hooks on and it doesn't even clamp on. It just uses like just hooks around and then the, the weight of the bike locks mm -hmm. it in place, sort of like wow, pulls, it, pulls it around. Um, so it, it does require a door opening with molding. Yeah. Uh, it does require that and just like those pull-up bars, mm -hmm. um, you all, they work well as long as there is downward force yes. on it. Yeah. So if you are doing some work on your bike and you, you knock your head on your bike front like yeah like yeah. pull up on the bike or something it, it might fall down yeah but it's got gr like rubber grips on it so it holds on pretty tight um but yeah they've also got a new one called the connector which is basically just a double-ended clamp a clamp on one side clamp on the other and it lets you you can basically take your current like foldable repair stand clamp this on you turn your repair stand into like a double repair stand or you can put it onto any sort of any sort of round tubular section. So you could put a clamp onto the side of your van. It doesn't even have to be round. You can use like yeah, a street sign. A square. It's just, they're doing some clever things. So um, that's a brand to watch out for. Huh. So that the- it's all uh, for the van lifers. Mm. All this stuff's for the van lifers. Uh, that, that other rack that you were talking about though, it does not have a pivoting head though, correct? No, you can pivot it. Oh, you can. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Yeah, it's okay. it's keyed, so you can. Um, oh, you it's can't, keyed. Okay. You can't pivot it while the bike's on it, but you can adjust the angle of the bike with gotcha. the bike off of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So good to know. Super secure. Yeah. Huh. All right. Okay, Dave. And then I guess that's worthy of, of us letting you talk about it. All right. Uh, I did also, that. by the way, just see someone roll by on what I believe was an old Yeti Ultimate with a Tioga disc wheel. Oh yeah. So, uh, that looked amazing. I also just saw a Shami Hagar in the wild. Really? Yeah. Was it Jason Mosler's? I don't know. Did they not read our review? <laughs> oh, sorry, Brutal. sorry, Jason. Oh, sorry, Brutal. Kevin. Uh, hmm. so moving evil, on. Evil moving thing on. To say. Right. Evil thing to say. <laughs> moving on. All right. Anyway. All right. Now, now the reason the why we there. have Ken Avery here. So as I mentioned, Ken Avery is the senior VP of product development at Victoria, and it really wasn't all that long ago that. Sea Otter was almost exclusively a mountain bike show. Like it was just mountain bike stuff everywhere and there was like no drop bar stuff here. Um, but now with the the rise of gravel, uh, it, gravel is, has been thought of by a lot of people as sort of like the way that roadies have been getting off road. But you can also think of it as the way that mountain bikers have been getting into drop bar riding and like dirt roads and that sort of thing because you know people are coming at it from both sides. So now Sea Otter has very much become, for sure, a mountain bike and gravel event uh, with all sorts of races, for sure, as there always are at Sea Otter, but also just a ton of gear. Um, and there is definitely no shortage of gravel gear here. And one thing that is really interesting is that gravel bikes have basically always been sort of dictated by the tires. Um, and we are... I think seeing some intriguing trends in terms of what's happening in the gravel bike world and then primarily looking at the tires, which is why we have Ken here. Ken, what are you seeing in terms of trends for gravel bikes? You know, I just look at this as an evolution. As a kid growing up in the you know 80s and early 90s in the mountain bike scene, seeing the evolution of mountain bikes, I just see such a big parallel now with the evolution of gravel and where it's going and where it's come from. It's funny, you see, obviously, it's it's a gravel road bike in theory, right? Sea Otter, as you say, used to be kind of a mountain bike show. Uh, I mean, there is, there's road racing here, but I mean, it's it's become really like uh, the, the, the new inner bike in a way. It's, it's also almost like an off-road kind of show in a way where there's a lot of gravel in that respect. Um, and the reason I say it that way is there's always gonna be a lot of crossover in gravel from other off-road categories, especially cross-country mountain biking. There's that old debate of like, you know, is it a 29 or hardtail versus a gravel bike and, and where that gray area is. But obviously there's also gonna be some crossover from, you know, just road bikes in terms of aero and other things like this that particularly are really relevant now that the UCI has stepped in, right? So uh, in terms of trends, um, I love that you just pointed out that vintage bike with the disc wheel on it because there's so many you know, iconic photos of John Tomac on the drop bar bike. It's always He's, Tomac. No one ever mentions like Charlie Cunningham. Oh, I mean, come on. I, I, <laughs> you gotta give credit to Cunningham too. But, but Tomac, I think was the guy who really took the World Cup by storm on drop bars uh, back in the day where he crossed over from road. 
And, you know, there's those images of him climbing up, you know, a dirt road at Mount Snow, Vermont, and, and he's got drop bars and it looks almost, if you squint, like he's riding a 650 gravel bike in a way, You don't right? really have to squint that hard. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, um, short of having like a big beard and like a flask of whiskey or something, he's almost kind of hip. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's kind of that way in this, in this day and age. But in terms of trends, uh, speaking as a tire guy, you know, obviously things have gotten wider. Um, you know, James and I had a discussion earlier today about like sort of like cyclocross bikes that were used in a gravel bike sense. And, and then people started making a little wider tires, wide enough to where maybe they weren't rubbing in a cross frame, you know, and then they started making gravel frames or using 29er frames for this or expanding in that way. And now, you know, we see a lot of people using a tire like, say, a, a 29 by 2.1 Mezcal or something as a gravel tire. Uh, and just as just seeing that capability of of sort of a do it all quiver killer kind of bike, and I know those are some buzzwords, but the, like where's the bell curve? Like that's sort of yeah, that's my sure. big question. So like you know, obviously there's people running, there's people riding gravel on 28s if they really want to. There's people riding gravel on a 2.1. Like where's the where's the peak of the bell curve? Is it is it still a 40? It's it's the, the peak has moved. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's funny. Um, it, it, you know, if if you asked me this six years ago, I would say anything slightly larger than a cross tire, which is 33, right? So now, um, yeah, I still think the top is still probably a 40, you know, but uh, more and more, um, it's about what this, as it always does, it's about what the sport means to you. I mean, if you're asking me what pros are going to ride at a UCI race, I'm going to say, yeah, it's probably going to be a, about a 40. If you're talking about people who want to get out and have like an adventure and go like exploring and like go sort of like a gravel riding, we're seeing those cross sections get slightly wider, um, particularly because ETRTO, and this is diving pretty nerdy. So if you guys are into ETRTO out there, uh, oh, yes. is, but, we're, we're, the show is yeah. called Nerd Alert. Again. Yeah, no, for sure. So in any case, you know, we should those just change the name of the show to ETRTO. <laughs> I think that would be, the, yeah. Yeah. Every <laughs> episode ends up on it. Yeah. <laughs> those rim widths have gotten wider. And so, you know, the, and that enables you to run like, uh, you know, a proportional wider cross section of tire that is then meted to that intentionally wider rim as well. And so, you know, we're seeing it really get crazy where the, the metric size ends and the inch size starts. Um, and, and, you know, that historically was always right around 50 there. Uh, cause anything over that's, you know, a, 2.0, right? So, ish. So it seems to me like we are seeing, you know, we there's this singular term to describe all this riding. Like it's just called gravel, but the reality is it does encompass a huge range of, of riding types. Um, and in terms of the tires, it seems like it goes everywhere from, yeah, like cross bike 33 mil, where it's really, it's like probably 35 is ultimately sort of like the lower end of gravel in terms of tire sizes, I guess. But like you said, it goes up to like, 29 by 2.2 maybe even but yeah. it, it does seem like we are seeing a pretty defined split that is sort of becoming like it's almost coming becoming like cyclocross plus and mountain bike minus see i would actually almost view it as to take because I, I, I see your point and to take that point i would say it's almost like subcategories of mountain bike it's almost like sure, subcategories of gravel in a way there's going to be high-end gravel racing there's going to be bike packing Right. I mean, you could you could argue that that's all kind of a quote unquote gravel bike. Um, you know, are, are you loading your bike? Are you going for like uh, maximum terrain variance or are you just going for your pure speed? Right. I mean, like a like a nine kilo hardtail is a mountain bike, but a full blown World Cup downhill bike is a mountain bike. still a mountain bike. <laughs> totally. Right. Well, that, it kind of feels like it's just it's in its. It's still in its infancy, right? Our terminology for this for gravel is still in its infancy, and the fact that, like, on the mountain bike side, nobody tries to describe every single mountain bike thing by calling things mountain bikes anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. impossible. There, there's there's twenty seven different not categories from the inside, inside anyway. Yeah, but like, no. But if you look at any product catalog, regardless of the component, they're like, you know, whether it's a handlebar or a tire, they will designate as cross country or gravity, right? And we don't have that designation in gravel. Right, and, but I think that's my point. It. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yep. You kind of need it. It's almost, yeah. Like, I wonder if this, if the bell curve I was talking about is actually two peaks, right? If there's sort of like, like you said, the sort of the cyclocross plus, yep. you know, folks that want a 34, 36, it's pretty smooth, something like that. And then the sort of second peak up at like 40, 42, 44. 
Yeah. So what are There's, people? We just don't have the terminology for it yet. Basically, what are people buying? Like you've got a pretty big range of gravel sure. tires available, all, all different treads and types and stuff like that. What are you seeing in terms of what is popular out there? Like what are what are people yeah. using? What are you most sold out of? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Very good question. Um, uh, so basically, it comes down to what fits on their bike. So uh, most gravel bikes, as I said earlier, I mean, gravel bikes have evolved just on their own, right? So the, the spacing has gotten wider. Uh, for a lot of people, a 40 is something that's gonna be enough of a contact patch, enough volume to create some cushion, lightweight enough to be fast, um, and then still fit within a modern gravel bike. Yeah, it really now, seems like the sweet spot. Yeah, it, it really is. But you know what's funny? I mean, I love, and I don't mean to be so like uh, euphoric on this nostalgia always, but I, I did just go to the mountain bike museum last week. But anyway, so I will say this, you know, when those guys were first starting to make those mountain bikes in sort of the same era of, you know, we are in gravel right now, they were they were taking bike parts from, you know, other categories and putting them, I had a BMX handlebar and a road derailleur on a clunker, you know, and it's almost in this place where we're putting mountain bike tires on gravel bikes, you know, and 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 doing all these, you know, I see a lot of people, they'll run like a mountain bike group set sometimes. And, you know, it depends on what you're trying to achieve, but I think it's a super exciting time for that reason. And being a product guy on the tire end, um, in terms of not only wheel size, but also tire widths and then things like inserts, um, you see all of these things come from other categories and they optimize this new category and all these little subcategories within gravel. So we've noticed a lot just looking at comments on articles and the chatter in our like Velo Club Slack channel and forums and stuff like that. Speaking of which, thank you to the Velo Clubbers that were here earlier. Indeed. They came by to say hi. Indeed. That was pretty cool. Um, but it's interesting that pretty much anytime we write something about a a quote-unquote gravel product um, that kind of caters toward the kind of like burlier end of things. There's always like, be it suspension or foam inserts or that sort of thing, there's always suddenly a contingent of people who are like, you know, I do all my gravel riding on 35s and 38s with a rigid fork and I don't need any of that stuff. Like all this stuff is just like mountain bike stuff. This is dumb. But then you also have these people who are like, no, I use all that stuff and it's awesome. Well, and then you also have people who are like, just go to mountain bike, blah, 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 right, blah. Right, right. <laughs> and and in, invariably there's always the John Tomac. Yeah, exactly. But but that that that's what I'm kind of talking about with the with like the terminology and this weird, like, I don't know if it's just just roadie mindset of we enjoy telling people that they're biking wrong. Right? Like, which is just so coming from the mountain bike side, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of sort of like, uh, the you know, the cross country guys and their spandex and the yeah, totally, and, yeah. the, and the downhill guys. Like, there's a little bit of that, but kind of just cultural differences, right? It's not like cross country riders are not like, oh man, anyone who does downhill is dumb, right? Like, that doesn't exist. Well, really. I think I think it might exist to a certain extent. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I would say now less than ever, right? Yes. Like, like the mountain bike world is very much. I mean, you know, pink the pink bike guys were making a podcast around this very same table this morning. They would not be having the same discussion about about their commenters essentially well their commenters are a special breed anyway <laughs> but their commenters like looking at a type of riding and saying like no this is stupid right, right? but yeah. we're still in that phase of gravel where people think that the, whatever they do is the way and if you ride a different type of bike or in a different type of terrain and a different type of whatever that that is wrong and See, that, I don't that know, feels man. like the piece that that is it'll change i think eventually yeah. it's just like Everyone's rushed into this thing. They like stake their claim on the type that they like and everything else is wrong. And we kind of need to get past that. I will that tell you bit. what, man. Um, I, I see what you're saying. And I certainly see that, especially if you read the comment section of certain websites that may or may not be a part of this parent company. Anyway, but, so the, <laughs> but uh, you know, hey, uh, if, you, if you ask Bobby Wintel over Vegetarian at- Vegetarian uh, Times? Yeah, I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. Uh, but you know, the guys at the Mid-South, like uh, I've done this event twice and that event is like the most diverse event I've ever seen in my life in terms of bike choice. You see people riding a hundred mile gravel race on everything from titanium fat bikes to, to 70s road bikes to fixies to mountain bikes. It's hilarious. Which I think is awesome. And, and I think they're part all of, wrong. Dude, and the thing is they're all having fun. And that's my point. However you're having fun is the right way. Yeah. And and that's ultimately why we're here, right? Now, if you're talking about efficiency, then you can measure things. And, and, and I guess that's why it goes back to saying like, you know, define what the top of that bell curve means to you right and and if it's it's about to your point earlier like you know hey what, what are you selling the most of yeah sure i mean we, we could narrow that down quickly within sort of a category um but i think the beauty of gravel right now is that it's so wild west still well that and yeah yes there is a certain element of 
people yelling at each other saying, you're doing it wrong. But yeah, by and large, Ken, I think I agree with you that there is an awful, what's very refreshing is that there is so much experimentation. There is so much openness to just trying a bunch of different stuff. And yeah. it is just a kind of a free for all. The comment guess, section is worse than reality. That is definitely true. Yeah, I guess like, but speaking to trends, like where is your forecasting leading? Sure. You know, where where do you think demand is going to go as far as tire choice? What are we introducing next year that you haven't talked about yet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, uh, what, yeah, what no, isn't no, you allowed to tell us that you should tell chance. us now? Global right. launch. Right yeah, now. right. No, so uh, <laughs> I would look for uh, big things in the future. Is that subtle? I don't know. Oh, no. Okay. I mean, get, get, it, get it big things in the future. Yeah, no, it's, uh, of course, I think that was man, coded. It's, Fat uh, gravel. There, there's I'm a lot ready. of things that are, you know, the tire sections are getting a big, big wider. Um, we're going to continue on, um, you know, developing liners that are going to be um, more specific in terms of use. Um, but really just optimizing things such as like durability and, and speed at the same time. So often in the tire game, you know, speed grip durability pick two. Right, and uh, one usually sacrifices another. Um, in gravel, it's been really, it's challenging as a designer. You have a, a small contact patch, you're trying to create a lot of uh, speed with and, 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 and all that, but at the same time, you have to have that cushion to, to maintain a low rolling resistance, right? Because you want that deflection. And uh, it's a challenge, but it's something that we're, uh, we're up to that challenge at Vittoria. And, and um, you know, our road heritage is all about that. And so now taking that off-road and, and taking some of the world championship mountain bike technology we have and sprinkling that in has been really a journey. And it's been fun. Gravel tubulars. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, Challenge actually tried that already, <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact. I yeah. know. Yeah, good they effort. Do, though. They yeah. do ride really, really well on on bad pavement and dirt roads and stuff. Until they don't. As long as there's <laughs> air in them. Is bad pavement a gravel segment? Or <laughs> it depends on where you are. This is my yeah. bad pavement bike. Yeah. Well, does it I, have drop bars? Like, like when, when I was still living in Michigan, that's <laughs> all you had. Like there was no such thing as a good pavement bike. Is there was no good pavement? I have a flat bar bad pavement bike. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, single speed. Speaking speaking of inserts, uh, that that wasn't that's definitely another kind of hot button and hot segment that is here at Sea Otter. Um, it was not that long ago when, I mean, not, not, to, not to talk about one of your competitors, but mm -hmm. it was not that long ago when Kushkor- sure, man, when, cool. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that long ago here at Sea Otter that Kushkor was kind of like this weird anomaly that people were just kind of like, like it, it was definitely there, people were using it, but it was still kind of a fringe thing. And now foam inserts have certainly gotten much, much more popular, certainly, off, certainly uh, for mountain biking, but um, increasingly so for gravel, and we've been talking about it a lot here. However, again, whenever we talk about something like that, we, again, have people who are like, oh, like, what do you need gravel inserts for? Just get a mountain bike. Like, I don't need any of that stuff. I haven't pinch flatted in 30 years. Um, can I know well, that- sir, I think you're running too much pressure in your tires. <laughs> right. <laughs> can I know that you obviously have a position on this? Uh, yeah. Because you do make gravel foam inserts along with a bunch of other, I, other inserts. Uh, we, have, we have inserts because we have a position on it. We don't have a position because we have inserts. <laughs> There's a reason. Okay, okay, fair <laughs> enough. But uh, I want to I hear your opinion on um, who gravel inserts are for sure. and who they're not for, because it does seem like they're not necessarily for everybody or maybe not even necessarily for most people. Hmm. I would say they're, they're for uh, at least half the people. Oh, and the reason I say this, Bold. hear me out on this. So, you know, uh, full full props to Kush Korg. Those guys are great. Um, Rear tire only, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, 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 industry. <laughs> um, no, and honestly, they're super innovative and, and uh, tons of credit. When we came out with our airliner system, we wanted to, uh, you know, provide something different, you know, in a way. And, and so uh, we took the approach of, you know, liners really started in, I would say enduro and, and gravity disciplines and mountain bike where there's super high impacts, right? And you know, on those bikes, the bikes are made to take that impact. There's a lot of suspension, the, the wheels are stronger, um, all that stuff. It's expected, right? And then we, we started there and, and then, you know, we said to ourselves, geez, a cross country mountain bike, as we talked about earlier, there's a lot of different kinds of mountain bikes, um, has a narrower tire, a narrower rim, less suspension, everything's lightweight, those tires pinch easier. Man, maybe it kind of makes more sense to do that in cross country. So we did a range of liners and uh, and then we wanted to make them, you know, accessible for a large group of people. So we, we did it in a way that are, you know, they're very compatible with different wheel sizes and whatnot system. But, you know, in terms of uh, gravel liners, 
we've taken all that momentum and then really kind of thought about that um, in, in terms of the gravel bike having an even more narrow tire width and an even narrower rim. And you're still running pressures that approach a mountain bike pressure. I mean, you know, I was talking to some people today that they're, you know, they're running like 25, 30 PSI in their gravel bike. That's really low. You know, and if, if you are doing that in terms of comfort and, you know, the terrain you're riding, then you absolutely should consider a liner because, you know, a liner is going to wedge your, your tire beads out to the rim walls. You're not going to burp in a corner. Uh, you know, you're less apt to roll that tire. It's going to be a bit more stable. The liner sits proud of the rim walls. So it's, it really truly is almost impossible to pinch a gravel tire if you have a proper liner system in. So what do you say to people who hear everything that you say and they're like, well, aren't you sort of just trying to make something better that's inherently not good for the type of riding that you're doing? Like basically, shouldn't you just be riding a mountain bike? Well, no, because think about it this way. If you ride a mountain bike, you're gonna have a heavier wheel, a heavier tire. Um, a gravel tire, uh, if, you can, if you can get away with making a gravel tire more durable, then that's, that's the win, right? So you want something that's gonna be as fast as a gravel tire, but run at low pressure so you have that extra traction, but without the trade-off of then potentially having a failure. And that's where that liner comes in. Hmm, interesting. I mean, but, I like them. I mean, going back to who it's not for. Yes. What are the, like, obviously there's some sure. downsides. There's some things to be aware of. The 50% the of people that you say potentially aren't the customer for this, is that the customer that perhaps maybe isn't riding rocky enough terrain or is it a person that couldn't change a tire if they had to? So, you know, the it's funny. Oftentimes we see people are what I say overbiked, you know, um, maybe maybe they're a mountain biker who runs like a, a 160 mil bike and they just kind of ride just casual trails. Ken, right? I don't know what you're talking about. I have never seen anyone own a bike that is more bike than what they need or right, want. Right. Exactly right. So especially in Boulder. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's <laughs> the kind of thing where guilty as charged. <laughs> It's the kind of thing where the same happens on a gravel bike, you know, um, if you are getting a gravel bike because, you know, maybe you want to explore some dirt roads and, and you're not doing like ultra epic stuff, then maybe you don't need as much bike and that may include a liner. However, the flip side of that is if you are that person, I could also make an argument and say, maybe you're not as tech savvy. Maybe it's the kind of thing where a run flat solution could also be of benefit to that person, right? So you can make an argument either way there. And I think that's actually where we took our road airliner. Uh, you know, I mean, we do a lot in the classics and, and, and all that stuff. And you go to Paris-Roubaix or Flanders or someplace where there's a lot of cobbles. And, you know, I mean, no, no, that's not your general consumer, okay. But it validates uh, the need for an, an airliner, even as, as far on the spectrum as in a road bike, um, that's validation for that. What percentage of, of pros will have some sort of liner at Paris-Roubaix next weekend, do you think? Well, if you could see inside the tire, you'd know, right? It's, <laughs> it's always a mystery in that way. Um, but I will tell you that uh, a lot of our athletes who are at an event such as that, if they're running TLR tires, there's a good chance that it's in there. It's, it's something that's really been a game changer. And, and that one, actually, I will say this and not, not to, I'm not trying to plug too hard here, but like, I will tell you the road airliner system is actually really interesting because it's made out of a different material that collapses under the pressure of a um, higher pressure road tire. And then if you have a failure, it then fills the tire volume and you can ride on it. Uh, whereas the other liners for like, say gravel or mountain bike are, are really just about, um, you know, anti-burp and protection. And yeah, sure. You can, you can run, run flat on them, but, um, it's a different kind of technology. Hmm. We'll have Ronan take a look. Um, just, just, just go start taking tires off. Yeah. See if uh, they like that. Just to flight them. And then, <laughs> and then you feel. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, sorry. I, what pressure were you running? I'll just pump it back up to you. And then you're killing two beds with one stone. Oh, yeah, you find I'm out the tire pressure and whether well, that, that'll and line up. He's still going to be walking around with that external fixator on his leg. Like, who's going to yell at him? Yeah. Like, who's going to pick yeah. on the guy with the broken leg? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I deflated another tire. I got to go. <laughs> As he goes bounding off with his leg. All right. Well, his last question about inserts that I want to that I want to ask you about. The other big criticism that we hear from people, I guess there are two, um, but one big one is that if and when you do get a flat tire, you either have a really really hard time getting the tire off. Period. To put a tube in, or you you get the thing off and you get the insert out and you put the tube in. You keep riding, and now you end up with like this sealant dripping goopy foam. 
thing that you have to put somewhere. What do you, what do you say to those people? So I would what say, what do you say to me? I would if say, I get, I would say get a plug kit. Um, I what mean, if the plug kit doesn't work? Like what, like, what do you do? Well, I mean, so I would say define your failure, right? Like, how are you seeing uh, a system with a liner fail? Because it's it, quite, quite truthfully, it's quite difficult to have a liner system fail um, unless you have some sort of like a spoke poke through your rim tape or if you get a slice where it's not a pinch flat type thing, right? So if you get a slice, I would first say plug it. Um, if you if you have like such a catastrophic failure, um, then you're you're going to be dealing with taking the tire off anyway, probably, and so you're going to have a tire and a liner to deal with. But at least the liner fits inside the tire in that way. Um, I, I think there's very few middle ground situations where you're going to have something where uh, you have to take the liner out, but the tire is still good, right? It's like it's describe that failure. It's kind of like it's a very unique circumstance. So basically, you're saying it's the sort of scenario where it's just not really going to happen that often. I, I would say, yeah, the vast majority of the time, it's not going to be an issue. Um, if you, for some reason, do get that kind of a catastrophic failure, I'm not going to tell you that like sealant's not going to come out of that tire cut. But at the same time, the liner will keep the tire beads on, and it's kind of much like rolling home on a flat tubular. Okay, interesting. All right, well. Fair enough. I guess we will continue to keep an eye on this trend, and I do think they will probably get, I don't know, I kind of think foam inserts are going to continue to get more popular, if for no other reason than the fact that I feel like every month there's a new company that has a foam insert <laughs> coming out. Yeah. I mean, I, I, they're slowly they're slowly getting put on most of my bikes at this point. So. Well, that's mostly because yeah. you're not very good at taking care of your bikes, and these <laughs> sorts of things make it so that you can ride your bike like an idiot and not have to worry about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can vouch for riding your bike like an idiot and having liners in your tires. So yeah, that's me. Okay. All right. Well, Ken, I think we've picked your brain enough about gravel tires and foam liners and all this other stuff. Thanks so much for being a guest with us on the Nerd Alert podcast. And I think this is probably a good time to wrap this up considering that we're going to be doing this whole thing again tomorrow. Tomorrow. I don't, I, is this going to post tonight or tomorrow? What, what that's we, a good question. What are we doing I don't here? know. What are we doing here, James? Uh, if you hear this, we figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then. I think we will try to, I'll send this off to the editor and we'll try to get this one up like while Sea Otter's on and we'll get the other one up like early next week or something. And yeah, well, it'll be great. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, you know, really. Really big fans. Always like working with you guys. More information, Victoria.com. Oh, man. I did it. Got the oh, plug wow, in. look at that one. All right, Mal, cut that part. Cut it, cut it. Well, Ken, I, again, it out. again, thanks for being on the show. I know it is pulling teeth for you to get to talk about tires. <laughs> yeah, so I, hard. I, don't, I don't talk at all about tires ever. All right, well, thanks as always for listening to the Nerd Alert podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's show, or I guess today's show, I should say, since we're doing one, doing one tomorrow. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show. As always, if you have not already done so, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It's very helpful. The the one that I don't know who this was, but someone left an awesome, awesome review the other day. It was five stars, just as we requested, uh, just as we requested. And they said something like, like the worst of the cycling podcasts out there, except for all the other ones. Yeah, so, I think something that's what that it was. Yeah, it was excellent. It was an excellent review. Yep. Still very helpful in terms of boosting us on on <laughs> iTunes. So continue to leave yeah, the, those reviews. The actual review is, is is largely irrelevant. We think maybe I don't know. Maybe, I'll, maybe we the could be really trashing our like <laughs> our, our chances here. Perhaps, Just, yeah. perhaps. Maybe a bunch yeah. of five stars that people would be like, "This is crap." Uh -huh. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, go ahead and give us a give us a rating. Give us a give us a subscribe. Tell your buddies about Nerd Alert. Yep, we appreciate it. We 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 really enjoy growing the Nerd Alert audience. So thanks again for listening, and we will see you again tomorrow. Oh. Cheers. Bye, everybody.